Welcome to Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast. It is springtime, which means we are counting the Omer and counting homers. We are right in baseball season, getting going. And with that, it is a great pleasure to be in dialogue with Mets Assistant General Manager, Ben Zosmer, and also proud Park Avenue Synagogue member and rabbinic spouse here on Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast. Welcome to Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast, where we take conversations of importance and of interest to the Park Avenue Synagogue family, sometimes within our community and sometimes beyond our community, but hopefully always interesting to our community of listeners, both the members of Park Avenue Synagogue and well, well beyond. Hope springs eternal. Not only is it the time of flowers budding, but it is a time of the baseball season beginning. And with that thought in mind, what a gift it is to have Ben Zosmer as our guest on Park Avenue Synagogue podcast. Um, ben graduated from Harvard in 2015 with a degree in applied math. He worked for the LA Dodgers from 2015 to 2020, including their World Series championship year of 2020. He was hired by the New York Mets in 2021 to be their director of baseball analytics and subsequently promoted to assistant general manager in 2022 uh, when he's not uh, serving the Mets. He, he predicted, interesting fact about Ben, he predicted the Oscars using math each year for the Hollywood Reporter and has also written a book on the subject, Oscar Metrics, and freelance articles for the New York Times and the Washington Post of all of his achievements in life, hitherto none are greater than having become the husband to Park Avenue Synagogue's own Rabbi Shana Zosmer. And in a uh, trade of a few years ago, uh, the New York Mets were able to um, bring in Ben, but Park Avenue Synagogue more importantly, was able to bring in Rabbi Zosmer. Ben, welcome to Park Avenue Synagogue Podcasts. Thank you. Thank you for having me and for the lovely introduction. Um, ben, can I just ask with sort of a, a simple question in our conversation, how does a math guy become assistant general manager um, to the Mets? I mean, what, what's more, the story there? More and more, I think teams are looking to have a voice of analytics somewhere in their leadership group. Uh, so this was not uh, a thing 10 years ago. And you go back even further, 20 or 30 years ago, teams might not have employed people like me at all in their front offices. So it's a pretty new phenomenon that now teams not only want to have analysts around, but are really growing these departments, hiring a lot more people with specialized backgrounds. Uh, and part of that comes with bringing people into the fold at the assistant GM level so that uh, we can use the stuff that all of our analysts are doing to try to help influence decisions and win baseball games. So really a, a big change. I remember that book, Moneyball, that came out. Uh, what's it called? Sabermetrics. Uh, 
of, of a transformation in how uh, talent is recruited, sustained, maintained, cultivated, and otherwise, right? A different world than sort of a, I don't know, a major league. I'm thinking of all the movies I saw of like the minor league player becoming, right, what Bull Durham and otherwise. So that's my generation. It's a new generation right now. So what are some of the sort of North Star principles that uh, is it? Do I have the word right? Sabermetrics that that sort of how how does one with the new vision look at baseball in a way that's different than say a few generations before? Well, that, that's exactly right. And you cited Moneyball. Moneyball really is a great example of life imitating art. Uh, because Moneyball comes out, all of the teams look at that book and then the movie and say, "Well, if other teams are having success with that, why don't we do it too?" Uh, so it brought into the game a whole new generation of employees, myself included, who think about baseball in terms of simply how do we outscore the opponent. You can boil everything down to a run. Uh, a good at bat, you can gain runs. A good play in the field, uh, a good pitch by the pitcher, a nice play by the catcher, anything you do on the base pads, uh, anything you do in the front office by how much uh, you choose to pay a player when you sign new players or trade for players can all be boiled down to scoring more runs than your opponent, preventing more runs than they do. Uh, and so it takes out a lot of the personal element of baseball and puts in a lot of the hard, rigorous data, which never tells the entire story. Uh, there's always a personal element to everything in life, baseball included. But sometimes in decision-making, it's helpful to be able to separate out the quantitative, which is what we do, from the qualitative, which is what our scouts do, other front office executives do. So does every single team now have, obviously only one has been Zosmer, but <laughs> like, does, is it just now, if, if, you're, if you own a baseball team, you have an analytics department? At this point, yes. Now, they do vary in size. Uh, part of the irony of all of this is that when Moneyball came out, it was thought of as this way of bridging the gap between the teams with fewer resources and more resources. But now, fast forward a couple of decades, and many of the teams with more resources are able to hire even more analysts. And that goes for uh, the Dodgers, where I was previously. It goes for the Mets, uh, where I am now. I'm very fortunate to have worked for a couple of teams that have really been willing to put major investments into the analytics space. So let me play a mind game with you. Are there players of yesteryear, right? I mean, I think of the guys I grew up with, you know, Tom Seaver or Mike Piazza. You know, I was there at the game when Oral Hershiser pitched against the Dodgers um, right before the Dodgers played the A, right? These are the heroes that I grew up with. Um, would they make the cut in a world of sabermetrics? For like sure. If we, were, if we were to pump in Hershiser's data or Reggie Jackson's data or Steve Garvey's data, like Ron Say, how, how would they do according to Ben Zosmer today? Would you recruit them? Oh, absolutely. Every single name you just listed would still do quite well. Now, the exact ranking of players uh, is sometimes looked at differently as time goes by. Uh, I think when you look at players historically, you often think of their one clutch moment or their big uh, plays in October in the World Series, things like you mentioned Reggie Jackson along those lines. Uh, but sabermetrics tends to take a much more cold-hearted, neutral view of just what was their actual true talent 
uh, and try to separate out some of that luck component. There are some things where we look back and some players maybe were overvalued a bit. That often comes into play with defense, which is harder to evaluate from a box score than offense or pitching. Uh, there are some players who played certain positions that we now consider to be less valuable than other positions because it's easier to find guys who can play first base than shortstop, you know, things like that. Uh, but for the most part, all the superstars of yesteryear, you fast forward to today's game and we'd be looking at them as superstars today. Right. So if we were to apply saber metrics to clergy, um, <laughs> then how would that work? We'd say, wow, uh, you know, Cosgrove on the Shiva call or Zosmer with the youth event. I mean, we would have to sort of measure. Um, I mean, uh, that there's something that would be dangerous for your marriage to actually uh, <laughs> apply analytics to uh, clergy teams. You know, there's there's an old quote about baseball. I don't remember off the top of my mind uh, who said it. That you know, a newspaper reporter was criticizing a player for making a bad play in the field, and uh, the player turns back to him and says, "Well." How would you feel if all of your errors were reported in the newspaper the next day? Uh, and, and it's true. Uh, baseball happens to be an unbelievably quantifiable endeavor in life, uh, like almost nothing else. I cannot imagine how you begin to quantify the vast majority of professions, not just being a rapper. Right. Right. It is something. I mean, I don't know. This isn't therapy, but you should know this because you're <laughs> married to my colleague. Like we actively <laughs> talk about in staff meetings, we'll say... Look, it, it, it's it's really nice to give that sermon where the sanctuary is packed, but it's also deeply sacred to be with one particular family in loss over a course of a day, you know, doing the intake at the cemetery. And right, that is an allocation of rabbinic. Sorry, this is a crass way to put it, but it's an allocation of rabbinic talent that happens outside of the spotlight solely focused on one congregational family, but I would say that's just as important as anything we do. Um, but it's, it's just different. So the baseball metric we love to use as our catch-all uh, is WAR. It's an acronym for wins above replacement, a rather bellicose acronym, unfortunately, but we call it WAR. It's our way of combining every little thing a player does, how often they do things and the magnitude, how well they do them. Uh, could you imagine a rabbinic war? You know, how much impact you had versus how many people you impacted? Yes, but I cannot begin to imagine who has the, uh, the audacity to assign numerical values to these very important roles. Oh, maybe my chairman, who knows? <laughs> He's a numbers guy too. So let me ask a, a question because this is, I, I've been reading some press that uh, there are some of the most consequential changes to the rules of baseball that we've seen potentially in our lifetime uh, this year, whether that's a pitch clock, um, the switch of where the players are, are, are situated. It could be the size of the bases to increase, um, you know, the, the allure of stealing and make the game more exciting, you know, and, and I'm sure there are others as well. Um, and some of it says that sabermetrics is behind it. The, the, the nature of the game, that whether it's, you know, the, the value of the home run or what the players, the players know that they are being measured in different ways. And now they are playing the game differently, perhaps, than they did 20 years ago. Uh, is there truth to that thesis? Is, um, I mean, meaning, uh, le uh, there are a million follow-up questions, but let me just 
Yeah, yes, there is a lot of truth to that. Uh, when you think about the desire to speed up the game, uh, which comes, uh, which leads to the pitch clock, well, where does that start? Some people would say that it's bringing out more relievers because sabermetrics discovered that relievers often perform better than big name starters. Uh, you think about the desire to have uh, two guys on either side of second base and allow for more steals. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from the fact that Sabermetrics discovered that the shift is actually a really good strategy in the infield against a whole lot of hitters who tend to pull the ball on the ground. So a lot of the rule changes were, in effect, trying to make baseball look and feel like it did many decades ago before the advent of all of the sabermetrics kind of tweaked what the game looks like on the margins. Now, from my perspective, you know, people often say to me, well, you're in analytics, you must hate these rule changes. Not really. Uh, the way I think about it is our job is to win the game. And if they want to change the rules of the game, they want to get rid of shifting, they want to speed up the game with a pitch clock, they want to make the bases bigger, that's fine. They've just changed the game and now our job is to win a new game. Right. So you, you just need to play within the lines that are drawn for you, whatever whatever they may be. Um, okay. So and and so so you, you sound okay with uh uh the changes and let's turn to the Mets themselves. Um so first of all, um how what's it like working for the Mets organization? Uh you what do you would you go in every day and like slap high fives to ball players or are you sort of sitting there in front of your computer doing wonky stuff or like do you ever get to tell who do you get to tell over the course of a day like you know this player is really you know needs to work on how they work on their curveball or this you know something like that it's been really wonderful here i love every moment since I joined the Mets now uh, two and a quarter years ago, give or take. Uh, I am very fortunate in my job. One of the things that I really love about it is that I get to interact with all of the above. So a lot of the interactions are with the rest of the analytics department and other people in uh, the front office talking about how we should value things and how we best can predict things. And that's where you get into the, the wonkier side, if you will. Uh, then you... Uh, get to have lots of conversations with the general manager. And that's where we talk through the strategy for the team on the field and the strategy for uh, putting together the roster, which means trades and free agency and contracts and all of that. Uh, and then uh, I'll head down to the clubhouse, usually about an hour and a half before the game and uh, check in with some of the coaches or if needed, some of the players to talk about whatever strategy elements relate to that night's game. So, uh, so you'll actually it's say the, you know, the, you know, the leadoff batter for the Dodgers um, who are playing tonight, um, you know, tends to pull the ball, you know, to third base. So let's put our third baseman here as opposed to there or whatever. Like those are the real time conversations you're having. Yeah, we have a whole department here uh, that uh, I'm very lucky I got to, uh, to identify and hire a lot of these folks who are now here working for us. And that's exactly what uh, we got people that are focused on the majors, people focused on the minors, people focused on the amateur draft when we select new high school and college players. Uh, so a lot of different areas of specialization, all of which can benefit somewhat from analytics. Now, ultimately, you still need domain experts here to be able to make the final decisions. It's why I'll sometimes talk to our manager and we'll talk through things, but 
you put the manager in the dugout and not me because he is best poised to be able to make the final call. Uh, and it's that way when it comes to our coaches and the minors. It's that way when it comes to our scouts out in the field uh, trying to find players to draft that the analysts can be super helpful. We can provide information and we can distill information. Uh, but you can also have domain experts who are better suited to make that final decision. Got it. Got it. So how are the Mets looking this year? What are, uh, what are, what are our challenges? I mean, the, the season is yet young, right? What, what are we at? 162 games, right? So, That's right. So we got plenty of runway, but, uh, you know, I, I know it was uh, the, the big news that um, distressed all of us as Mets fans was uh, the, the, what happened to uh, Edwin Diaz in the World Baseball Classic. That was a, a big loss for us. Um, I mean, what, where, where's, where's, where's your thinking now? So I'm obviously biased on this question, but I'm quite optimistic. I look up and down our roster, uh, and I feel like we've put together a really, really strong group. Now, it's a very competitive division. There's no doubt about that. Uh, you've got the Braves in the division. Uh, the Phillies and Marlins as well are, are no teams to sleep on, and the Nationals can be tricky too. So up and down the NL East, uh, it's going to be a very tough fight to the finish. But I think the Mets are, are really suited very well to be extremely competitive this year. Now, there's no doubt that uh, losing Edwin Diaz hurts us. You cannot replace overnight a player of Edwin Diaz's talent level. I mean, the man is extraordinary, what he was able to do on the mound last year. And so we're wishing him uh, a very speedy and full recovery. And in the meantime, we're going to do the very best with the group we've got. Well, well that sounded... Uh... Like you've said that before, um, <laughs> but it sounded very politic. So, um, so I'll, I'll, I'll let you stick with it. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and what is the, um, you know, when you think about the, the improbable wins of the Mets, right? What was that? 69, um, 86. Right. How, how looking back on those now, I mean, it kind of goes back to how we began the conversation, Ben, right? The, the X factor, right? The most exciting moment I've ever been to, uh, of any athletic event was when Gibson hit his walk off home run, right? Now, the, those are, I mean, that's all about sort of, uh, a non quantifiable, uh, win. I, I don't know the, these these classic stories um, that probably don't fit into one of your Excel charts. Um, I, I don't know uh, the Gibson home run. There's a story that uh, when he was trying to warm up because you know he had, he had a a bum leg that day and was still trying to take that bat and he was warming up to pinch it and that somebody in the tunnel gave him a tip that uh, on full count, Eckersley might go to, to this pitch. And so he knew to be ready for it. That's the exact kind of stuff that we do in my apartment. Now we're now Outside able to do slider, if I'm not mistaken. Exactly. Uh, and then you put it over the right field wall. Now that, uh, in those days you had to do it through watching a lot of videos, through having scouts there in person. Nowadays we're able to supplement that with searching through databases, using a computer and coding languages and all of that. But ultimately, we're trying to do the same thing that uh, that coach was for Gibson, which is give our players every little edge we can. Right. Um, I got to ask you this question because I'm a rabbi and you're a baseball guy. Um, <laughs> analytics. Who, who are the, who are our strong uh, Jews taking the field this year? 
a strong chance. Well, it, you have to start with uh, with Alex Bregman uh, on the Astros. Uh, he, uh, in terms of Jewish baseball players, is probably right at the top. Uh, Max Fried on the Braves uh, also comes to mind. But there's a whole number. I think I read uh, just before opening day an article saying that this might be the highest number ever of Jewish baseball players taking the field this year. So uh, it's definitely quite a time to be a fan of, uh, of Jews in baseball. Same thing goes for fans of Team Israel, the World Baseball Classic, who uh, once again performed very well and, and did themselves proudly, including a number of uh, Jewish American ball players who comprised the bulk of that team. Uh, so a uh, whole lot of names on, on many rosters. Right. Do you ever imagine, I mean, as you were crunching numbers at Harvard, that your life could be this cool? <laughs> uh, no, I, I feel that I've gotten uh, lucky here in this profession beyond my wildest dreams. I always thought, uh, ever since I read Moneyball, actually, as a kid, that this might be something that uh, I I might want to do, but to actually be able to get a job in this field and then to be able to progress throughout my career, get to work for a couple of really wonderful and storied franchises and took me to two terrific cities that I know you know well in LA and New York. Uh, it's all just been a dream come true professionally. Well, Ben Zosmer, the greatest dream you have achieved is being married to Rabbi Shana Zosmer and as one person to the next, one husband to the next. Um, that is how you should always begin and end an interview um, by acknowledging the good fortune of having found your spouse. And, um, but, um, you know, I, and, and we will ask that those listeners, as Ben, you are in the uh, pews um, all the time. So we'll ask uh, that, are, are people allowed to ask you questions about the Mets or, or does oh, that bug you? No, not at all. I, what I always <laughs> say is if, if it bothered me to sit around talking about baseball, then I definitely chose the wrong profession. All right. You're opening yourself up there, but I'll let it go. Um, it's always, uh, what, one of the things that... Uh, that Shane and I just love about our jobs is that uh, in a weird way, they are both spectator sports. Uh, how many jobs are there where your spouse is invited on a routine basis to come and visit the other spouse at the office? Uh, not that many. We happen to be in two of them. And so uh, she always welcomes me to Park Avenue and I always welcome her to City Field for a ball game and a, a kosher hot dog, uh, which are very good here, by the way. If you haven't tried them yet, highly recommend it. <laughs> uh, and uh, and that's just been so wonderful for us. You know, that uh, the best thing about this past year has, of course, been getting married to each other. Uh, but right up there is moving to New York and getting to be such an integrated part of each other's lives, even after COVID, even after the days where all work was done from home and we could be around each other 24-7. We still get to spend all this time supporting each other, being with each other because I get to come to services, she gets to come to ball games, and we get to cheer each other on. We are a very blessed community to have both of you as part of the community and, and the rabbi leading our community. And uh, as they say, go Mets. Let's go Mets. Thank you so much for having go me. Mets. Um, ben Zosmer, thank you so much for joining Park Avenue Synagogue. And hear you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. See you in shul. Hi.